Welcome to Season 5 of The Farcast, bringing you experts and insiders from Wall Street, Washington, and the world. And now here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome to The Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thanks so much for joining us again this week. Here we are, mid-October, two weeks into the fourth quarter, and the volatility is with us. I hope you like volatility because I don't think it's going away anytime soon. Futures for the Dow, as we open this morning, are up over 300 points. NASDAQ futures up even more on a percentage basis. The 10-year Treasury's rallying. And everything that was wrong yesterday is right today. Isn't that fabulous, the way the markets tend to do that? People who hated it yesterday, they'll tell you it's okay today. Bank earnings coming out very strongly. Big gains uh, across most all of the big banks. Great forecast for you this morning. We have Wells Fargo's chief economist coming on for segment three today. Their economic outlook, but also some insights into what's going on at Wells Fargo. Dr. Jay Bryson is going to join us. Can't wait. Uh, also, the temperature in Washington continues to be warm. Not quite as hot as it was last week, pre-debt ceiling, but it's still warm because we just pushed off the debt ceiling. Dan Mahaffey's going to be here. What in the world is going on with this market as we get whipsawed around, up and down, back and forth? We turn now to your great forecast fan favorite, Kenny Polcari, the voice of the New York Stock Exchange, CEO of Case Capital Advisors. Welcome back, Kenny. Good morning. It's always a pleasure, Michael. Thank you for having me back. I love when I get to talk with you this early in the morning. This is this is uh, always fun. And, uh, you know, our listeners learn so much from you, Kenny. So why is the market uh, behaving like a uh, eight year old, uh, eight year old on a cookie rush? <laughs> I think it's amazing to see what happened yesterday. Right. CPI running at a 13 year high. PPI came out this morning once again. Can kind of confirming uh, uh, inflationary pressures, although it wasn't it wasn't hotter than what the expectation was, but the expectation was already high. So the fact that it's reiterating that, and we're talking about inflation everywhere, and now they're talking about tapering, yet the futures this morning rallied by 300 points is really confusing to me. The only thing that I see happening is treasuries went from 1.6 to 1.533, which I don't really understand why treasuries have backed off that much considering the news we got. But the fact that treasuries are backing off does give support to uh, to investors that are thinking that, you know, even with a tapering, that maybe Jay Powell's right, is that tapering does not equate to uh, any move on interest rates. And so maybe they're just assuming that interest rates are not going to not going to move. They're going to stay low. And so they've got to find yield. And here they go. I think Jay Powell and the Fed have done a brilliant job with the introduction of this taper. I mean, they're jawboning and how they've presented it. They started a long time ago. I mean, the market has got it in its head that this is what the Fed's going to do. Nobody's going to be surprised. Nobody's hating on them too badly for doing what, you know, they're getting a lot of support, right. a lot of areas to go ahead with this. And even if when Jay Powell came out yesterday, I was surprised too, Kenny, because that was a, you didn't know when they were going to start, but that still sounded like a pull forward to me. Right, right. Uh, so they're going to start earlier. I expected that 10-year to go higher. It did. As right? I did. As well, I did. You, you would expect, but uh, it didn't. And, and the buyers continue to come in there. It's still in there this morning. So uh, even, even the uh, across the curve, the two-year, the five-year, they're all a bit stronger. 
uh, yeah. this morning. So we'll watch what all of this means. What do you make of bank earnings, Kenny? So listen, the banks are all coming out. They're beating on the top line, the bottom line, the middle lines. They're talking about how great it is. You saw what happened yesterday. But, you know, we talked about this, I think, the last time I was on. They, they do exactly what they did, right? BlackRock came out, blew, blew it out of the water, but investors had sold BlackRock into the earnings and then bought on the report, right? So they yes. sold the rumor and bought the news. In fact, JP Morgan and some of the other bigger banks, they bought the rumor and now they're selling on the news, even though these banks are coming out with better than expected numbers, right? You saw that yesterday, JP Morgan, they took two and a half percent out of it by the end of the day, but they did take as much as three and a half percent out during the day, kind of rallied back a little bit. BlackRock, they rallied at 4% because they had taken that one right down to trend line resistance. One way or the other, I think the earnings are just as expected. They've been talking about how the earnings are going to be good, uh, certainly with a certainly um, uh, the tapering should help earnings, uh, should help these banks in the future, as long as we get, you know, uh, uh, an increase in rates and that there's an increase in the spread, because that will then help bank earnings. Now, that's still the jury's out. And maybe that's why some of these banks are also trading off uh, is just because now people are not really so sure we're going to get that rise in rates, even if we taper. So it's going to be a very interesting, you know, going forward. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to hear uh, how this all uh, how this all unfolds. But one or the other, I like the banks. I like the banks long term. So I'm not surprised that these banks are so far reporting good numbers. Uh, I would look for weakness. You know the names I like are J.P. Morgan and Bank America. So weakness in either of those two names will cause me to you know put some more money to work in those two names. Here's what's got me a little bit worried this morning about the banks going forward. I liked all the numbers. I was glad to see them. I always like to see good numbers. But uh, J.P. Morgan had a big drawdown from reserves right. uh, to help them make their numbers. Now, a bank has capital reserves, ladies and gentlemen, and when they're and they have to reserve against what they think are risky credit situations. If they could have a credit loss, they have to reserve and they have to reserve from earnings. So when they add to reserves, it hurts earnings. And then they have this pile of reserves that sits there. And when they have a good part of the credit cycle and the risk goes away and their credit looks good, they can take from those reserves and add to earnings. So it's not right. really money they earn now. It's earned money they earned before, and they can pull it forward. So they did that. And it was a big number coming right. from J.P. Morgan yesterday, right? Right. But okay. here's the deal. <laughs> but, but the street understands that. Everything you say is absolutely true. But that's not a, that's not a secret. Everybody knows that's what they do. It's everybody knows it's what they do. Right. But OK, so let, 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 let me let me finish here. It means because we've had just this wonderful credit cycle. Credit's been wonderful and we, we, we haven't seen credit fall apart. But the report out of CNBC this morning, foreclosures are starting to jump uh -huh. as government and private sector programs designed to help homeowners deal with economic fallout of covid have yep. begun to expire. And so mortgage lenders began the foreclosure process on 25,209 properties in the third quarter. That's a 32% increase from the second quarter. Year over year, it's a 67% increase. And states with the largest number of foreclosures, California, Texas, Florida, New York, and Illinois. If those programs go away, Kenny, 
then maybe those credit portfolios well, and mortgage portfolio uh, don't look as good. And uh, maybe next quarter, they've got to add back to those reserves. You see uh, what I'm saying? Uh, of course I do. No, no, I think you're right. And I think that's going to depend on it. It's so funny you say that because I also heard that stat this morning about the foreclosures with the states that uh, that are going to experience or that are experiencing it. And I, and I think that's fair. And I think you're absolutely right. And people have to consider it. Um, but, you know, I, I, I'm always amazed because Jamie Dimon always finds a way to pull a rabbit out of the hat and end up with great earnings. I love him and I think he's done a great job. Um, but I'm not that concerned about it because I don't think that uh, uh, while I think the foreclosures are going to ramp up, I still think that there's plenty of demand, certainly places like Florida. There's still money coming here. Unbelievable the way people are moving down here and spending money. So I think even if these houses go into foreclosure, they're going to be taking them right up, right? So the prices of houses in Florida, the prices in houses in Florida, are just absurd. Where I live in Naples, uh, yeah, it, it, they, it's, uh, it's 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 stupid. They've more than doubled in the past uh, six years. They've yeah, more than but, doubled, right? Than but doubled. you know the other thing that came out the other day, and I'm in, and it's interesting because I'm in this position right now to whether should I because I've ever since I moved to Florida, I was renting because I wasn't sure I was going to like it here. So now I'm in a position, should I buy or should I rent another year? Because I agree with you. I think prices are out of control. But here's the other issue I think that's going to start to happen. I think banks are going to smarten up. And I don't think appraisals are going to start to come in at these stupid prices. You want to buy the house for $2 million, the appraisal is going to come in at one six. And listen, if you want to pay $2 million, go pay it. We're only saying this house is worth a million six. So you're only getting a, a loan 80% of a million six. You're not going to get 80% of $2 million. And I think that's also going to bring pressure down on prices. You know, and I think that that will affect a lot of the broad housing market uh, in, in, across Florida. But there are sections, the, the uh, elite uh, housing market, agreed. the luxury housing market doesn't matter. Uh, Those people uh, don't take loans. Because, that's right, because they pay cash. You're absolutely right. I, and that's what I'm saying, Jim. You know, it's, I'm, I'm in this interesting spot because, I, you know, what should I do? I'm kind of in that middle space. Right? I'm not looking to spend $10 million on house. I don't need to. I don't want it. I'm done with it. I'm, I'm so done. Right. But. If you're in the, I don't know, a million two to a million five range, yeah, yeah. these prices have gone up so fast that, you know, I'm even beginning to wonder, are banks, are appraisals going to appraise out even at those prices? How long you know, have you six been in months Florida? Out. How long have you been in Florida? Uh, it'll be three years in March. And you I can see this morning, ladies and gentlemen, you can't see him. He's already wearing his Florida shirt. He's got this... <laughs> He's got this sort of short sleeve button down thing that looks, he looks like Don Ho. Really, uh, there. he's on. got everything. But Listen, the, it's he's got everything but the ukulele. I'm waiting for him to sing Tiny Bubbles. Oh, really. you, know, you can kiss my, oh my God, don't even get me started. <laughs> kiss but, my Tiny Bubbles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, I had to, you, you, you know, your Tommy Bahama shirt this morning. I mean, you're yeah. becoming, you're going. Maybe we should Kenny, make this a video, a video. Kenny's thing, going native. Me folks is what's it's what's <laughs> happening here okay kenny i got two minutes tell me what you're seeing in terms of the stock market i was on a, a halftime report yesterday for the yeah. hour i was hearing lots of negativity folks not expecting new highs on the market this year folks expecting tough sledding tough this tough that yeah. i don't feel i'm not as negative as well, as my colleagues were sounding yesterday, are yeah, you? Yeah, I, I, no, I'm not as negative. I'm still negative very much in the next in the next three to four weeks because I still think there's going to be some turbulence ahead. But I do think we're going to end up getting that relief rally into the end of the year. I don't think we're necessarily going up to 4,600, but I think certainly if we go up back into the you know 4,450, 4,500 range by year end, because I still think we get more downside and then we can rally back into the belt, would certainly not be a bad performance in the market, right? It'd still be up 17 or 18 percent 
year over year. Um, so I'm not that negative. And especially look what's happening today. The news is out. Everyone's now heard it like you started this and everyone expects it. The, the Fed has done a great job job boning and telling everybody and preparing everybody. So it's not a shock. Even mid-November is not a shock. In fact, it appears to me as if they're embracing mid-November. Well, look, the one key that I think you've been very consistent about lately and I've appreciated is that you've said this earnings season coming up that's starting now with these banks is going to be a very important earnings season. And Kenny has pointed out, if you don't read Kenny's letter, you should read his letter. Uh, I, I read it every day. You got to read Kenny's letter. Uh, you got to read mine every week and Kenny's every day. But Kenny's been saying the devil is in the details of these earnings reports coming out. So what you've got to listen to during these earnings report, Kenny, tell us what you're going to look for. I mean, I'm certainly going to look for the operating environment. I'm going to look for cost and higher inflation and whatever yeah. their cost of goods and services. What are you looking for? Yeah, so you're going to all that, plus you're going to start looking for, well, not start, you are going to be looking for uh, the, the continued conversation about supply chain shortages. And then what, what's yes. that going to mean? Look, yes. we've only had about a dozen companies so far report. And right. already they said that, in those 12 reports in the press conferences, the word supply chain shortages has already been said more than 3,000 times. And that's only a dozen companies. Just right. wait until we get through 500 companies. Think of how, listen, but in, in my mind, I'd rather hear supply chain shortages than I would about COVID-19 and death well, rates okay. and hospitalization rates, right? Yeah, so yeah, if, you yeah. want, if you're going to change the narrative, let's this talk about This is something that goes shortages. away in time. This is something right. that goes away in time. So Kenny's right about we have to watch these earnings reports. One other thing, Kenny, before I ask you finally about Fred and Ethel is when I see a day like this yeah. where I've got my the futures up this strongly before the open and some good numbers, given the volatility we've seen, what I'm most interested in today is how we close. I want to see after you come out with this strong beginning, yeah. what the market does through the balance of the day. Will it confirm or is it going to sell back off and give me a tepid 100 points on the day? Tepid 100 points on the day, I'm no longer excited and I think the volatility stays with us. I think the volatility stays with us no I, matter what. what do you I think, think the volatility stays, yes, I think the volatility stays. But look, the level that I'm looking at today on the S&P that I want to see a close above is 43.64, which is the intermediate term trend line. It's had trouble. It broke down. It was it was kissing it, kept backing off, kissing it back off. Now, this morning, it is going to go up and through. But what's going to be interesting, will it close above that trend line support? Because that's what I'm going to be looking for. You're right. If it comes back in and closes below, you know, all bets are off. And I think there's more turbulence ahead. If it closes above, at least at least now, you know, we built a little bit more of a base and it feels like the buyers and the bulls are sticking around that level. And that may, you know, that may start to calm down a little bit, but that's going to be a very key level to watch today. Fred and Ethel, take a deep breath. Don't make any big changes in right. here. Stay the course. Right. Uh, and at the end of the year, we're going to look at your asset allocation. Is that right, right. Kenny? I think that's right. Abs absolutely right. And I said to somebody, I was on TD Ameritrade yesterday and they were asking, and I said, listen, if you like the names in your portfolio and you bought them for a reason and th that thesis remains the same, then there's no reason to panic and start throwing everything out the window. Apple's off $12. Okay, They great. were throwing Apple out yesterday. Uh, they People were throwing, which is ridiculous me why me. they hated Apple. It's, I was like, uh, you guys are crazy. Uh, cr absolutely crazy. Okay, right. Did the thesis change at Apple? Absolutely not. Okay, so they're going to make some less phones. They're still going to report ridiculous billion-dollar numbers in the quarter. I don't care what you say. It's dumb to throw Apple out like that. I ordered my iPhone 13 a couple of weeks ago. I can't yeah. wait till the damn thing comes in. I've been using a 10 for years. It's been a great phone. I'm going to the 13. Right. Do I absolutely have to have a 13? No. Is my 10 basically okay? Yes. Is this but, just for fun? 
Yes, it yes. has a longer battery and all this other stuff, but but right. this is a discretionary purchase and uh, you know a little retail therapy for phone. Right, but are you going to? Uh, is it delayed? Have you gotten a notice that you're already delayed that that phone is going to be delayed or no? No, I haven't gotten any notices delayed. They said it was going to take three weeks, so I should have it next week. And it's got a better camera, Mike. You know what I mean? It's got a better <laughs> camera and it's got a satellite <laughs> hookup. I can make a call from the bottom of the Grand. I'm not going to get stranded anywhere, Kenny. I right. travel a lot. You know? Yeah, you travel a lot. Right. Good so, for you. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'll let you know how it goes. All right. Kenny Polcari is CEO of Case Capital Advisors, the voice of the New York Stock Exchange. Thank you, Kenny, so much. Always a pleasure, Mike. Talk to you later. We're coming back, folks, with Dan Mahaffey. Please stay with us. Michael Farr and the Farcast are proud to support Heroes, Inc., Heroes supports the spouses and children of law enforcement officers and firefighters who gave their lives in the line of duty to the greater Washington, D.C. community. Their singular goal is to honor the supreme sacrifice made by these individuals by caring for their families. Heroes' work begins within 24 hours of the tragic loss and continues indefinitely. We invite you to learn more about Heroes' mission at heroes.org. We hope that you will consider supporting heroes as they endeavor to honor those who protect us. That's heroes.org. Heroes, here for you, here for good. And now, back to the Farcast and your host, Michael Farr. We're glad you could join us this week on the Farcast. Now back to your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back. Joining me now, Dan Mahaffey from the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress. They study the presidency and Congress so you don't have to. And thank God for that. Also, Dan is the senior political analyst on the Farcast here in season five. Welcome back, Dan. Thanks, Michael. Good to be talking to you this morning. Really glad you're with us. Oh, Dan, what a week, what a week, what a week. You remember? Wicked Witch of the West. What a world, what a world, what a world. Yeah, I mean, you know, good bucket of water. We could lose half a Congress, I think. Okay, Dan, uh, we're looking uh, this morning. What's top on your list? I've got a few things on mine. Go ahead. Look, I think we talked about it. We previewed it last week. Supply chains, labor markets, what we saw at Southwest. We talk about the White House trying to get these things on track before the holidays, the perception that uh, uh, supply chains, employment, employers, there's chaos out there. Look, they've got to get a hold of that. And what we're seeing in, in Long Beach and Los Angeles, the ports there, what we saw with these, these Southwest uh, cancellations, the challenge for the White House is that the, the public is looking at this, but these are deep-seated, complicated issues, both with supply chains as well as what what you saw at Southwest, but immediately on on media, on social media, it's it's political. It's a political problem, and that's that's why we saw him speaking on it. That's why we have to face it. Uh, but it is not uh, it's not going to be easily solved. You know, these are things that do affect Americans. I have a friend who was flying his daughter, freshman in college, home for fall break on Southwest. They canceled the flight. This was just overnight. Uh, he rebooked a flight on American. They canceled the flight. He and his wife were getting in the car to drive to see the daughter because she's a freshman in college. It's the first time away, and she mm-hmm. was planning on seeing her parents. 
Look, these are the real issues that drive sentiment. And this is how we live. Had another uh, friend here anecdotally, but there was a family reunion in Rehoboth last weekend. Uh, one of the uh, daughters and mother of three of the grandchildren was on a business trip in New Mexico. Her flight on Friday was canceled. She from Southwest, she was supposed to have other flights. They kept trying to reschedule. She didn't get a flight until Tuesday, until Tuesday, but it also ruined the family reunion. These sorts of experiences are what change sentiment. It's not that people are listening to headlines. It's that I can't get what I need to get at the supermarket. Uh, my iPhone is late. I'm, I, can't, I can't see my children. Right. That changes sentiment against, and, so, and that when, when people have those experiences, they look up and say, who the hell is running this whole act, this whole uh, circus anyway? And what are they doing about it? I didn't have these sorts of problems under president fill in the blank. It doesn't matter. It's just not the current one. It's, I do it's have always, it's always under better current. under the past president when it comes to those things. And particularly just as, as, as a politician, you don't want your constituents to have any kind of friction in their everyday lives and right. shortages uh, in food and goods, canceled flights, uh, the uh, you know holiday gifts not arriving those are all the 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 nightmares that politicians are are going to have and are having and I think that's why the White House moved on this so quickly but but what's fascinating that this president has to deal with that he hadn't in the past is look I'll, I'll tell you go to go to your headline terminal or your favorite news thing you'll see that Southwest has been having problems all summer with with overbooking. Uh, under capacity, difficulty bringing back furloughed pilots. But what happened with it was that this uh, version of the kerfuffle happened right after the vaccine mandate. So right. an entire social media and political apparatus was ready to blame this on the vaccine mandate, even when the, the pilot union, the FAA, the airline, most of the rank and file pilots were saying, this actually has to do with a lot of the long-term structural problems that the airline has been facing that are now exacerbated by the pandemic and these shifts. You know, Biden hasn't caused a, a shortage in U.S. pilots. Biden right. didn't end the Air National Guard as a pipeline for generations of American men to learn how to become pilots. Uh, Biden didn't uh, change, uh, you know, didn't tell Southwest to underinvest in their IT. But those are all the things that come together in this crisis that, you know, president, better or for worse, that lands at your lap. Right. Nobody cares that uh, he wasn't uh, responsible for it because he's responsible for it now. He's in the chair. And, yeah. that's, and that's what you get. And uh, that's what I've always said about the economy. Economic cycles take years. They don't just turn overnight. Uh, this president has, has inherited the last president's economy and the trend of the economy, and the next president will inherit President Biden's uh, economy, and, and, and we'll have to live with it for a couple of, of years. Um, it, Barack Obama was uh, elected uh, in 2008 in the sort of middle of the financial crisis. Uh, he didn't take office um, until 2009. And, and so, you know, it, was he responsible for the financial crisis? No. Was it on his head to figure out what they were going to do about it? He sure as hell was. So yeah. we, we see that over and over again. What does this do, Dan, for the 
efficacy of what they're trying to do in Washington? Uh, how does it change the dialogue? What does this mean? So if we lose this, if we're having this sort of friction mm -hmm. on the side, what does it mean to the political debate about the raising the debt limit and about these uh, infrastructure, the, the one trillion infrastructure, which nobody's talking right. about anymore, and still the proposed three and a half trillion? Well, well, what I think is that you have to now say if there is an opportunity, a silver lining to this cloud, the administration should start using this to talk about what's actually in those packages to fix ports, to improve infrastructure, to address those things that are causing supply chain concerns. What measures in those bills are there? And that gives them an opportunity to start talking about what's actually in the bills as opposed to the back and forth over, uh, you know, what what did cinema have for dinner last night, and what does the uh, what does her choice of sides mean uh, for the for the legislation? I, I think you can you can start talking about that, but again, it's the the overall cloud of. Um, you know, it was uh, Jimmy Carter's malaise, you know, that sense of societal malaise has to be broken through as well. That's the headwind if they don't get this under control. And I think that's, a, again, why they're being so focused on this, trying to get companies uh, to, to lead in addressing supply chain issues. But uh, again, like you said, with the cycle, it takes years to build, uh, it'll take months to years to build new uh, warehouses. It takes years to adapt. Look, we were the one country that didn't have 24-7 ports until just now. Look at us. Finally, that's going to take time, though, to get through that backlog. And finally, you know, there's nothing that the White House can do to tell people go, you know, you can't make people go be truckers. You can't make people go be longshoremen. And ultimately, filling the jobs is a is an economic more than political issue. Although the politicians, you know, they'll say things like uh, immigrants are taking all the jobs when there's still 11 million job openings. Well, but they message, you know, president's message and they can have strong economic messages. Jimmy Carter told us to turn down our thermostats and wear a sweater at home. And he was always seen in that stupid Fred McMurray sweater around the white. Right. House. And by that point, as you said, you know, as you point out, he'd lost the sentiment by then. Yes, that's, that's what Biden is. You know, he's on the cusp, I think, with the you know, with that sort of false start of the summer, Afghanistan, the, the sentiment's really against him. They've got to get this right and get the, and on top of that, get the boosters through the through the, uh, you know, through the winter. Get that done. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and or else this know, is president it, we, that those things have to happen. And President Reagan. Uh, told people to go out and spend, that the economy was going to be fine, go buy the refrigerator, go do this and go do that. And that changed the face of that economy. So here's my question with President Biden, Dan, and, and if we put on really nonpartisan, truly nonpartisan uh, analytical hats, which is the one you largely, largely wear, uh, I know you tend to be conservative, but is President Biden a victim of the current situation and maelstrom in which he finds himself, how much of his, I guess, drop in, in his approval rating and everything else is due to circumstance? And how much of this do you think he's actually screwing up? Is the, is the administration uh, causing itself problems? Are they, are they not, is he not doing a good job or is he just in a bad situation is what I wanna know. I think he's not doing well in a bad situation. He's not doing well in a bad situation. Okay, so we understand, I think, the bad situation. Right. Where is he not doing well that you think he could be doing weller? 
I think they could be doing a far better job on communications and message. It's a challenge, though, for him to, to stay on message. But I also don't understand why you don't see more of their surrogates like uh, Pete Buttigieg or others trying to, uh, you know, kind of own the airwaves, flood the zone on messaging when it comes to this. Um, and I also think that they've never recovered from the the momentum punch that their their own self-forced errors on Afghanistan were. And so uh, back on uh, his heels, the president is not coming off his heels. And with this drop in his rating, right. in his approval rating, people on Capitol Hill, elected officials on Capitol Hill, look at uh, the president, uh, even in his own party, and say, eh, I really don't have to listen to him because my voters don't like him that much anyway. If he's really popular with my voters, if they say, why aren't you helping President Biden? President Biden's the best, then they have to. But that's not what they're hearing. So what does that do to the current agenda on Capitol Hill with these bills that are on the table and seem to be struggling? Well, it, it certainly means that the White House has less political capital to push this over the finish line, particularly if you're talking to, you know, obviously you could never say to uh mansion hey you know joe biden knows your voters of west virginia better than joe mansion does um but beyond that it's a vicious cycle it works both ways so you gain political capital it's easier for your supporters you lose political capital it's harder for your supporters and then on top of that it does not help at all when you have the narrative of retirements from senior uh democratic chairman and others in congress which just simply says they, they see the writing on the wall in 2022 that, it, that it's time to get out. When they start, and, and, and Dan, we've got to go, but as we've seen uh, Congress, uh, Congress people, persons uh, say that they're going to retire and not only leave leadership positions, they're just going to leave. Uh, does that sort of begin to be a self-fulfilling prophecy about the House in the way that it will is predicted to turn towards a Republican majority a year from now? In some ways, it, it it tells you that the leadership knows that they're not going to, you know, you don't want to go from chair to ranking member if you've been a chair for a while. Um, so you see that. Uh, ultimately, though, I don't think it's as much as a, uh, a harbinger as it once was because we have so few competitive districts and so many of them are gerrymandered one way or another. Uh, yeah. yeah, finally, Dan, tell us what you're watching this coming week. Is it going to be a relatively calm week? I'm not hearing a lot of headlines coming into the weekend. Are we going to be able to exhale over the weekend? I think we might be able to exhale a little bit over this weekend. Okay. Look, let's try and get the, the Democrats seem to want to negotiate uh, in some way their plan. Uh, ultimately, it comes down to a kumbaya moment with progressives and uh, the moderates. Um, I think they can get that done. And I think they're feeling the pressure of Virginia to get it done sooner. With the huge number of job openings, organized labor uh, really has leverage now. Yeah. There are threats for a lot of strikes. Kaiser Permanente, 38,000 workers. Most of them are nurses, are looking for a 4% pay increase. Kaiser Permanente is offering a 1% pay increase. If those nurses and healthcare workers go on strike, if the John Deere workers, that's another one, go on strike and some others, this is going to be still another dagger in the president's side, but we have to watch this very closely. Organized labor has all of a sudden a little more strength in this kind of an environment. So will you help us watch that, please? I, I would certainly want to watch that. I think it's great you raised that, too, because that's something to keep an eye on, because organized labor will be key to Democrats' mobilization 
voting in 2022. So the the narrative around these strikes, if that becomes politicized as well as uh, the question of do you, do you support the workers or do you care about the disruption? That could be the binary that we see if, if strikes become more widespread. Dan Mahaffey, vice president, runs all of the programs and analysis for the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress, the policy director there and the senior political analyst on the forecast. Thank you, Dan, very much. Thanks, Michael. Good to talk to you. Take care. Coming back, coming back next, uh, Dr. Jay Bryson chief economist from Wells Fargo. The banks are reporting earnings. We're looking at lots of things changing economically. And when we come back on the forecast. We hope you're enjoying this week's edition of the forecast. And we hope you'll join us next week as we welcome scheduled guests, Jim Labenthal, Dan Mahaffey, and forecast fan favorite, Lester Munson. Now, back to the show with this week's special guest, Dr. Jay Bryson, and your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back. Joining me now, Dr. Jay Bryson, chief economist at Wells Fargo. Jay was uh, an economist at the Federal Reserve. He's a uh, adjunct, was an adjunct professor at Johns Hopkins University and Georgetown University. He went to UNC at Chapel Hill and uh, he is uh, he he does care about that Chapel Hill team. I, I happen to I happen to know that. Welcome back, Jay. Thank you, Michael. Go Heels. Go Heels. Exactly. Uh, we're so glad that you are you are with us. Uh, wait, I have to tell you a story. I had a great client for years and years who went to uh, Duke. And uh, uh, sorry, to, wanted, sorry to hear that. <laughs> he was an older man and he went to Duke and he loved Duke and was one of these loyal Duke guys. His son uh, decided to go to Chapel Hill, go to UNC. Smart, smart, the, smart young man. The son, the son told his father. Uh, Dad, I'm going to go to uh, I'm going to go to Chapel Hill, and the father said, "Like hell you are over my dead body." At which point the son said, "I have a full scholarship," and he said, "I think you might enjoy it, son." <laughs> 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 it was it was one of the best family stories for years. He got a full scholarship. I mean, at Chapel Hill, that was pretty good for a kid from Tennessee. I mean, that was another state. Good. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so Jay. Uh, we're looking at a uh, 10-year that has rallied a little bit on the news of the taper from the Federal Reserve. It looks like inflation may be running a little bit hotter or more persistently than this transitory word may have indicated. What do you make of all of this? So, yeah, I mean, so is inflation transitory? I think that, that depends on what your definition is. Um, you know, so right now, the CPI inflation rate is a little bit over 5%. We haven't seen that in 30 years or so. Um, you know, our view is that inflation, we, we won't have a 5% inflation rate next year. It's going to come down. I mean, part of the things that are pushing, has pushed it up, it's a combination of strong demand earlier. You had all these stimulus checks, et cetera, that were supposed right. to in a combination of a lot of supply constraints. Okay, now the first part of that equation is starting to relax somewhat, right? You don't have the same sort of impetus in the system in terms of demand that you, you did. Um, we still have supply constraints out there. And so in general, we believe that inflation will come down next year, but it's not gonna come down as much as what the Fed is forecasting or is, is hoping. 
So what are you thinking for inflation next year? Is it still going to be 3 or 4%? Yeah, so if you look at the average over the course of 2022, if you're looking at the CPI inflation rates, right. our, our average is going to be like 3.5%. Now, you know, in the beginning of the year, it's going to be closer to, we think, to 5%. And then by the end of the year, you'll see it moving that back below 3%. But you know, okay. if you take that over the course of the year, it's going to average out to we think like a three and a half percent rate of inflation on at the CPI level. Is that manageable for the Fed? Is that going to put them in the, in any more of a pressure situation? Where does that take the ten year? Will they will, will they have to taper more quickly? When will they have to raise rates? There there are about six questions there, Jay. Pick one. <laughs> I'll I'll take the ones uh, that I want to answer. Excellent. Um, so, so in terms of uh, in tapering, we do believe that in November they will announce a taper. Okay, and okay. we expect it to be about in terms of Treasury securities about um, ten billion per month. Okay, and so then they would be done buying by the middle part of next year. In terms of rates hiking, um, you know. If inflation really gets out of control, I could see them doing that. But I think the key thing to watch here, Michael, is inflation expectations. That's an important component about- Would you explain uh, that really quickly for Fred yeah. and Ethel, why that's important? Yeah. Why is it important? It's important because if you think prices are gonna be significantly higher in the future, you have an incentive today to go out and buy today. And then if you know enough people are doing that, then that today pushes up prices, right? If you have all these people bringing forward purchases. So that expectations of inflation actually are a pretty important determinant of actual inflation. Yes. Okay. Yes. Now, um, there's a lot of different ways you can measure. Okay. One way is you, you talked about the yield on the 10-year treasury. Okay. Yes. Um, if you take what's so called the so-called break-even, and, and what that means is you take the yield on the 10-year treasury, and you subtract the yield on the inflation-adjusted treasury security. That difference gives you a measure of what at least the market thinks inflation is going to average over the next 10 years. Let's do that as an example, can we? So that we've got, let's say we've got one and a half percent on the 10-year treasury. It's 153, but for math, yeah. it's one and yeah. a half. One, so, one and a half. so inflation adjusted, what how do I find that number? So uh, that's a good question. If you have a Bloomberg, and most people are not going to have a Bloomberg. Uh, so actually, you know, Michael, let me take that back. If you go to the Federal Reserve's website, um, there's, right. a data, there's a data web uh, part of their website. They should have the yield on the 10 year, the, the inflation adjusted 10 year. And, I'll, you know, where it is right now, it's actually negative 1%. Okay. So if you take that difference, the 150 that you talked about earlier on, on the right. number, right. subtract out that inflation adjusted, that gives you two, roughly two and a half percent. That's a measure of what the market is expecting inflation to average over the next 10 years, two and a half percent. Okay, now is that bad or, or, or what? I mean, it's at the top end of its range for like the 10 years, last 10 years, but it's not breaking out of the range. What, what that's saying is the market is expecting a two and a half percent inflation rate, but it's not like it's out outside of normal. And then, and then what, not to complicate things, but another thing to look at would be the University of Michigan. Okay, they every month um, they publish 
what people expect, you know, not market participants, but you know, you Fred and Ethel think inflation is going to average over the next five to ten years. And that's then, roughly in their consumer confidence it, survey. It, their consumer confidence survey, right? Yes, it comes out every month. Right now, that's at three percent. Okay, but if you look over the last ten years, it's the top end of the range, but it's not breaking out. Point right. is, no matter how you measure inflation expectations right now, it's not hugely worrying. But that's something the Fed's keeping an eye on, right? You know, if you and I have this conversation a month from now, and that market-based measure is at three and a half percent, and that University of Michigan measures at three and a half percent, Fed's going to start to get a little bit nervous. Yeah, Not if you were if you were on the Fed right now, what would you be doing, Jay? Nothing. It's, really? Uh, I mean, I would be I would be tapering, but I wouldn't yes. be raising rates, right? I mean, why why, why do we have an inflation quote problem? I'm going, to, I'm going to use that word with question mark or the quotation marks around. It, it's it's not about demand right now. It's all about supply. Supply chain. Yeah. Supply chain. The Federal Reserve can do zero about the supply chain. Yes. Um, yes. But now what they can do is they can prevent inflation expectations from getting out of control. So if I were on the Fed board, I'd be watching that very, very closely. And if I saw inflation expectations ratcheting higher, then I might be more inclined to start bringing forward rate hikes, try to bring those inflation expectations back down. But I certainly wouldn't be hiking rates right now. Is Jay Powell um, doing a good job? think he is. Yeah. I mean, I think most people in our profession, the economic profession, would actually probably agree with that. I think, you know, most people in the market would probably agree with that. And I think most people on Capitol Hill, and I know that, right? Most people, Jay Powell has bipartisan support on Capitol Hill, right? Is he too dovish? I, no, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, okay. you know, again, the Fed over the last, let's say, twenty years. I mean, the mantra has been at the Fed was at the Fed. You've got to shoot inflation before you see the white of whites of its eyes. Right. And that hasn't been a great strategy over the last, certainly in the, in the last ten years. Right. You know, and the, before the pandemic, between two thousand ten and two thousand nineteen, the inflation rate averaged less. Than two percent, which is their target, and so um, you know, you know, again, we don't. Nobody wants the nineteen seventies again. I don't think that's going to happen right. anytime soon. But let's say let's say that the inflation rate. Let's go back to our forecast. We think the inflation rate is going to average three and a half percent next year. Okay, that's high, but. So what? What's your, what's your number for 2023? Does it come back down to the two and a yeah, half? Yeah, for 2023, two? we're back down to around, you know, two and a quarter, let's call it. Okay. okay. But let's say it's a three in, in 2023 as well. So what? Right? It's, it's not, not a killer. It's not 1879. No, we're know? not at 18%, exactly. Uh, I want to come and shift because we're running out of time, Jay. This is fascinating, by the way. I think this is absolutely one of your best appearances with us ever, and they've all been good. So this is really great. Um, uh, I've been looking at bank earnings, and, and this is something I know you will understand better than I. Uh, I saw, I mean, the earnings have all been very good, but when I looked at J.P. Morgan's drawdown against reserves that really made their money, uh, help them make their money and make their earnings this quarter. I, I noticed that their credit environment is very 
has been very strong, has been a very happy, positive credit environment. They haven't had a lot of defaults. But this morning I saw an article that says foreclosures are starting to jump as government and private sector programs designed to help homeowners deal with the economic fallout of COVID begun to expire. Mortgage lenders uh, have seen a 32% increase in foreclosures in the second quarter. In a year-over-year basis, it's a 67% rise. It's only 25,000 mortgages, 25,200 mortgages uh, that are going under foreclosure here as the program expire. I would expect that to increase. My question is, Will we see an erosion in credit as these things expire that will negatively impact bank uh, earnings going forward? And will it really begin to show up and impair the power of the consumer? Also in JP Morgan, they showed that their credit card activity was up something like 36%, but credit card debt only increased 2%. So consumers have a lot of cash to be paying their bills now. Uh, but with the program's end, does that continue? Uh, what do you think? And should I be worried about credit uh, as we lose these programs? You know, in terms of things for, uh, that I worry about, I mean, the, the um, you know, a significant wave of foreclosures and defaults among consumers is not in the top 10. If you look at the financial position of the American household sector, writ large okay yes yes very very strong right now now are, are there going to be defaults and are there going to be foreclosures yes right uh going forward there always are and you know uh you, you know again you were talking 32 that's up 32 percent okay now this is from an extremely low base right there's yes. just not been a lot of that um so you know going forward will banks maybe need to set aside a little bit more reserves going forward yes um, but, uh, you know, again, I, I don't think it's at the point where it's going to really start to impair the ability of banks to be credit providers in the economy. I mean, not only is okay. the financial right. position of households very strong right now, the financial positions, the banking sector in general is pretty good as well. Very broadly then, Jay, two questions. It sounds like you're, and we've got to end here. Uh, I'm sorry, I can't believe the time's gone, but it uh, sounds like you're constructive on the economy in the U.S. over the next 12, 18, 24 months. Uh, tell me if you are. And then tell me what, if anything's keeping you awake at night. So in general, yes, I am. I am very constructive um, on, on the U.S. economy over, over the next 12 to 18 months. Things that are keeping me awake and right, right now, I, I sleep pretty well at night. Thank you very much. Um, Excellent. But very few people our age do. So good for you, Bryce. <laughs> well, yeah. Relative to other people my age, I sleep well. <laughs> Relative to a younger man, maybe not so well. Uh, right. Anyway, um, things that is, is the the unknown sorts of things, right? There's still just a tons of risk out there. I mean, we're not we're not completely past this COVID thing yet. Um, no. You know, that could come back somehow, or it, it could mutate, right? That's one. That's one thing. Another thing that I think is, is we really need to keep an eye on is China. Um, you know, yes. there's this, that's a whole different conversation, but, you know, in short, there is a debt problem in China. It's largely in their business sector. And, um, you know, it'd be interesting to see how that all plays out. Um, it's not like it's going to cause a depression here in the United States if China, um, you know, goes sideways. But um, the skating could get a little bit haphazard um, if China starts to go sideways. 
Dr. Jay Bryson is a managing director and the chief economist at Wells Fargo. He was at the Federal Reserve. He's been a professor, one of the brightest folks. And let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, you want to keep an eye on the next Fed board member. Jay Bryson is my pick. You want to have a new Fed chairman? Jay Bryson is the name I'm going to take to Capitol Hill. See how much influence FAR has. We would be in such better shape as a country uh, if we could get more folks like Jay Bryson on the Fed. Jay, thanks so much for being with us. I know you think I'm just flattering. I'm not. I mean it. Uh, Michael, you're, you're, you're very kind. I, I appreciate it. Always a pleasure being uh, on with you. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for another FARcast. On October the 14th, only two weeks here into the fourth quarter. Hold all tickets. October's a tough month, and yet typical fourth quarters have pretty good returns. Don't cash in your chips yet, says FAR. I'll be back with you next week. Thanks so much for being with us on the FARcast in Rehoboth Beach. I'm Michael FAR, and I look forward to being with you next week. Bye. We appreciate you listening in to this week's edition of the Farcast, and thanks to Michael's guest, Kenny Polcari, Dan Mahaffey, and from Wells Fargo Investments, Dr. Jay Bryson. We love hearing from you every week, and we try to respond to all of your notes and suggestions. You can reach us at hjennings at farmiller.com. Let us know any questions you have and topics you'd like to hear us cover. The Farcast comes to you weekly and is produced by Michael Farr and Harry Jennings and is available for free on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, and all major podcast platforms. We would like to remind you that the Farcast podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered legal or financial advice. The information statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed and provided in this podcast, including by speakers who are not officers, employees, or agents of Farr, Miller, and Washington, or Hightower Advisors, are not necessarily those of Farr, Miller, and Washington, Hightower Advisors, or any firm any of our guests may represent. Any mention of a specific security should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell, and please be aware that past performance is not a guide to the future performance of any security, index, fund, manager, or strategy. We strongly recommend you review with a financial professional before you make any investment decision. And if we can be of assistance at Farm Miller in Washington, please reach out to me at hjennings at farmiller.com. We are here to help, and I'll be happy to put any of our listeners in touch with one of our investment professionals for a complimentary review of, of your portfolio and your investment goals. Take care, stay safe, and stay healthy. Please share the forecast with friends and colleagues as we continue on with Season 5 next week. Go beyond the headlines each week with the forecast. Wall Street, Washington, and the world.